0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles with you and open them to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're going to pick up there in verse 37 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Receive Jesus as Lord on His Terms. Receive Jesus as Lord on His Terms. Now today is commonly known as Palm Sunday, and the neat thing about Palm Sunday, the neat thing about Easter, the neat thing about Good Friday and Christmas even, is that churches around the world are celebrating the same thing at the same time. It's like one of those times where there's a sweetness of unity among the churches around the world. And of course, Palm Sunday represents that day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem and that they laid palm branches down before him as he came in. So let's set the scene. It's Passover time in Jerusalem. And this city that's very set and compact, very small, is filled to the brim with people. Josephus, the Jewish and Roman historian, he tells us that there are about two and a half million people filling the streets in the city of Jerusalem. And there's an excitement happening. Because of the previous three years of ministry of Jesus, there's an excitement in the city. The name of Jesus is on everyone's lips. His popularity now has swelled to the highest point ever. And here he is, the Passover lamb, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And God is ready to accomplish his purposes and will through Messiah. The people are expecting Messiah. There's been a rumbling among the city that Jesus is Messiah. And they're expecting him to come in and rule and reign. But the people have, well, they have the wrong expectation for Messiah. You see, their expectation wasn't for their sins to be forgiven. They weren't expecting Messiah to come and deal with them personally and internally. No, what they were expecting was, is that Messiah would come and overthrow Rome. They were expecting Messiah to have a political advantage to finally once and for all free the Jews from the political oppression that Rome was placing upon them. And as you know from reading the scriptures, they were wrong. And because they were wrong, they were greatly disappointed. Notice with me in verse 37 of Luke 19. Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, and we read this in Psalm 118, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep quiet, the stones would immediately cry out. And as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this, mark this phrase, this your day, this your day, that phrase is important, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you, to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know, and this is another important phrase, because you did not know the time of your visitation, the time of your, this your day, the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves." There's a lot of emotion on this Palm Sunday in Jerusalem. There's excitement and anticipation. There's worship. There's praising. There's adoration. There's hypocrisy and lying and deceit. There's weeping and sorrow and sadness. And then the chapter ends with anger over the misrepresentation of God. It's a very interesting day. Jesus comes in on this glorious day riding on the back of a donkey. We know that from other gospels and also from beginning in verse 28 here how he was giving instructions to go get that animal for him. Riding in on a donkey was definitely an attention getter for those in the city. All eyes were on him. You see, Jesus mostly laid low in his ministry. At times, even telling people, don't tell anyone what this healing you received. Don't tell anyone about me. Keep it quiet. For three years, he went around and kept it really on the down low. But now the time has come. This was the pre-appointed time. Remember what he said as he cried over Jerusalem? Your day. You missed the day. You missed the time. Why? Because anyone that would study the scriptures would know that there was an appointed day for Messiah to come. Now, we don't have time to develop this, but we have in other studies in Daniel, we have looking at the whole prophetic picture in Daniel chapter 9 unfolded for us that starts with this day. This day is super important in biblical prophecy. And you can get those studies online or on our app as we study this in depth not too long ago. They missed the day. And one of the reasons they missed the day is number one, they weren't looking for it. They weren't looking for the day. Oh, that's not that they weren't expecting Messiahs, not that they weren't expecting Messiah to come, they just weren't looking for the day. They weren't looking for the time of visitation. The reason they missed it secondly is because the religious rulers took advantage of them, didn't tell them the truth, didn't teach them the word, so much so that you have this group here in verse 39, the Pharisees, when there's worship and adoration, they go, tell them to be quiet. Don't, they'll let them do that. They're missing the day. They're standing in front of Messiah, refusing to worship him, and instead telling everyone else. They're very religious. Religion will destroy you. The formalized religion of just going through the motions, it will destroy you. God is not looking for you to enter into a religious relationship with you. He's not looking for you to enter into a relationship that's all about rituals and religion and going through the motions. No, God wants you. He wants you in your totality. So much so that the Bible would say that you and I are to present ourselves a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12. Holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. The time has come. Jesus is ready. And the question was, were they ready? You see, he was complete control of the circumstances around him. He enters into the city heading toward the cross, not as a victim, but as a victor, as a conquering king. But the people misunderstood his first coming. They were expecting something else. In fact, as he was riding in on a donkey, this would have great symbolic meaning to both Romans and the Jews. You see, for the Romans, when Romans would come back after a battle, after a victorious battle, the Roman general would ride into the city on a horse in a large, celebratory, triumphal procession, declaring himself victor and conqueror. For the Jews, well, for the Jews that were familiar with the scriptures, which most of them were, they would immediately begin to think about the prophecy of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, jot it down. They would immediately begin to think, this is the one. Why? Because Zechariah 9.9, 9, written hundreds of years prior, says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, they knew Messiah would come into the city riding on a donkey. The Bible said it would be that. Be so. The Bible spoke of it. And the people, the disciples, many of them respond with praising and singing, and they're overjoyed, except that their worship was misplaced in that they misunderstood it all. Their expectations were not selfless. They were selfish. They cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, Saved now, as another gospel says, blessed is he who comes and blessed is the king. But they thought Jesus came to conquer Rome politically, that they would serve their own personal desires. They were expecting a political victory. They were expecting Jesus to bring political power and political authority. But Jesus came to give salvation in his first coming. He came not as a conquering king. He came as a suffering servant. Before... You ever enjoy the rule and reign of Christ, you have a bigger problem, and that is your sin. And God knew that. And he sent Jesus Christ into the world to die, to be buried, and to rise again to deal with the biggest issue in this room, the biggest issue on YouTube, the biggest issue on the radio, on television. That's the sin of man that has separated them from God. You see, Jesus came to defeat sin and death. And the people, they're misunderstood at all. You know, the same can be true today. The same can be true for us today. We can celebrate Palm Sunday. We can celebrate Good Friday and Easter. We can celebrate Christmas. But does it really impact us? Are you really changed by it? I mean, are you really living out the abiding presence of Jesus in your life? Or are you just merely celebrating and it's a day to go to church? And, you know, are are you really living out the life of Christ? That's the question today. Because you can celebrate, you know, you can celebrate, for example, the resurrection, but live your life like Jesus is still dead. You could celebrate Christmas Jesus was born the savior comes into the world and live as if he never came in the first place. Both then and now basically people want Jesus on their own terms. And I'm certain in a room this size with this many people knowing how many people are connected to us outside the room that some of you this applies to you. You want Jesus on your own terms. You're in that place where you're not necessarily opposed to church or opposed to the Bible, opposed to God, but you want him on your terms. You want him, instead of conforming yourself to his plans, you want him to conform to your plans. You see, they wanted Jesus to destroy Rome. That's what they wanted. Because in their minds, if they had political power, then they would have everything they ever wanted. And Jesus said, no, you missed the day. You missed it. You want the wrong thing. I'm not gonna serve your needs. I'm not gonna lay, I'm not gonna give you what you want. Although there have been times, listen, there's a warning from the Bible. There have been times where the people cried out to God for what they wanted and the Bible says this, God gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls. That's powerful. God gave them their request, but here in Jesus' first coming, He's not gonna give them the request. As a matter of fact, he says the exact opposite to them as we'll see in a moment. They wanted Jesus to destroy Rome, but not their cherished sins. Oh, don't touch those. Not their hypocritical, superficial religion. No, no, no. So many are like that. They sing the praises of a Jesus that'll bring them health and wealth and success and prosperity and personal happiness and for us, the American dream but at the same time pull back from a Jesus that would require obedience and require commitment and require submission. At the same time pulling back from a life of suffering and sacrifice and humility and brokenness. And like the multitude at the triumphal entry, it's easy to loudly celebrate Jesus as long as he satisfies our selfish desires. But like that same multitude, only a few days later, You have them crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And just a few days later, those same mouths, many of them will be crying, What? Crucify him, crucify him. Because God does not bow to the fickleness of man. And I believe God is speaking to many of us today in the culture in which we live. You want Jesus on your terms. And of course, they're defined differently by different people. But Jesus Christ will not be Lord on your terms. No, he'll be Lord on his terms. He will not come to be what we expect him to be. He has come to be who he is in his glory and his majesty and his holiness. And we need to adapt and adjust our lives to his plan and his purpose for our lives. So here the crowds are singing, but where's Jesus? Jesus is, in verse 41, he's heartbroken. He's heartbroken. As he draws near and he sees the city, he wept over it. And it reminds me in every service, I want to take you to Israel. Come to Israel with us. Our trip this year is full, but we're planning next year's. I want to take you down the descent of the Mount of Olives, where it comes down into the valley and comes back up into the city. It's breathtaking viewing Jerusalem from up on the hill, the Mount of Olives. It's breathtaking. And I know that some of you can go and many of you can't, and eventually we'll all be in Jerusalem together. Amen? We'll be there. But if you can go, I want to be able to take you so that the Bible becomes full color to you. Because when I'm reading this, I'm thinking of we do devos up there overlooking the city. Then we walk down. The, the, it's a, strong, a long descent coming in and then we come back up into the city. As Jesus is looking over and coming down, he starts weeping. You know, this is only the second time that the Bible records Jesus as crying. Remember the first time? It was at the tomb of Lazarus. It was at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. And, and the word used there to describe his crying was a different one than here. The one that's used to describe his crying with Lazarus is a word that means in the original language, kind of like a, a, a quiet crying, kind of like a whimper where you're not sure. You kind of see something, but there's emotion there. But, but he's crying, you could say, to himself, to himself. And he's crying at the effects of sin. He's crying at the grief of the people. He's crying of what, ha, what sin has done to hurt so many people there with Lazarus because he knows Lazarus is coming out. He already knows. He's God. He knows it all. Here, as he looks over the city, the word that's that's translated wept here is a word that describes a very demonstrative crying, a a very loud crying, one that there's no mistaking that he is weeping and wailing over the city because of their lostness. Not only are they lost, but, but, but they have high hopes in the wrong place. Not not only do they have wrong, misplaced hope, and not only are they lost, but they're going to reject Him and crucify Him. And it causes Him to cry. Loud, demonstrative weeping. It reminded me this week of being up in Boulder on Tuesday. We drove up to be available. Uh, We wanted to be there to serve and minister, walk around with a Bible, and talk to people that wanted to talk. And most of the people were quiet, most of the people had moments. you know we would walk up and down and and you know it is difficult for me, as I've shared before, it's difficult for me to engage in conversations with strangers it, it's just for the role that God put me in, it's still difficult to this day, but I've learned to obey and I've learned to just press through it and be sensitive and just do it. I just learned to obey. I'm not going to let it be an excuse for me. I'm going to serve. And so I've talked to a few people, and as I was facing you know, the fence and walking up and down uh, where people were behind me, I heard this loud wailing and weeping across the street. And I felt like the Lord said, that's, that's the guy. That's the bridge. Go talk to him. And so I walked away, turned around, and I walked and met him uh, at the little median there in front of the King Supers, and started to talk to him and pray with him and ask him how he's doing. You know, he grew up in the neighborhood, and he was on his way to the liquor store. And it's right next to uh, the King Supers there because he was going to buy a bottle of whiskey, and he was going to pour it out uh, in memoriam of the friend, his best friend that he grew up with that died inside that store. And so I prayed with him. I talked to him. I gave him an invite to a local church there that we're supporting and ministered to him. And he was done and he walked off and I watched him walk off. And then as we were there, I saw him come back and he came back with a bottle in his hand, but it was a bottle of water. The liquor store was closed, you know, they closed all the stores around there. And so he came back with a bottle and he did exactly what he said in his own way. He offered a memory for his friend and I noticed that some of the other guys um, also got to talk to him. So there was an appointment of God for that young man. He was weeping and wailing. It was very obvious that he was in deep pain and sorrow in his life. Here's the thing, you know, some might be listening to this story and say, well, Ed, did you tell him not to go to the liquor store? Did you tell him not to get the whiskey? You know, no. Why would I do that? He needs to hear about the love of Jesus. He needs to be encouraged in the Lord. He needs to be comforted. If he wants to pour out whiskey, he wants to pour out water. However, he wants to remember his friend. I want him to remember his friend. I want him to know that I'm there for him. That he can call me and text me. That we'll be available to serve him with the churches in that community. You see, this time of Jesus, we can miss it. You can go and go, hey, tell them to stop crying. Well, why, why would you tell people to stop worshiping God? Stop it. Why, why would you get involved in the behavior? Like, let's just point people to the Lord and let God do the work on the inside. He can and he will. That, that young man, he was probably in his early 20s. That young man woke up that morning. He didn't expect to meet a bunch of pastors on the sidewalk, God had an appointment for him, just like he has appointments in people in your life. There are people in your life that wake up in the morning, they didn't expect to meet you, (laughs) to have you love them and serve them. They didn't expect for you to, to walk across the street and encourage them or to thank them for their service or to love them in Jesus' name. I know there's a lot of narratives and I know there's a lot of agendas and I know there's a lot to be said in our world. Everybody has their voices. But our voice in the love of Jesus Christ is the most sure, the more steady, the most hopeful, and truly the loudest voice on the planet Earth today is the hope of Jesus Christ. And you're the church. It's not my voice, it's our voice. You know, one of the things that we adopted during this time um, with pandemic and everything as a church staff, we adopted something that I think we've always had, but we put a name to it. We said, we're going to speak with one voice. All questions, all issues, all we're going to speak with one voice. But doesn't that just sound like the Bible to you? We have one voice. We have one message. We don't have two messages. We don't have five messages. We don't have 10 messages. We have one voice and one message. And God wants to engage you and he wants to use you in these last days. And you know, you just know the difference between somebody, you just know between someone that's weeping and wailing that they need attention and care and concern. So he looks over the city and he says, man, if you just knew, you don't know. I'm here. I'm going to be entering in shortly. You just don't know your day. You missed it. And he says something even harder. He says something even harder. Like he speaks over the city. It's not like people are hearing him. He's speaking over, as he's coming down, he's speaking over the city. But he's speaking it, for, it's recorded for us for all eternity. He's telling them this, you want political freedom, but I'm not going to give it to you. As a matter of fact, your political foes are actually going to make it worse for you. You're going to lose your possessions. You're going to lose your families. You're going to lose, because you've rejected me, you're going to lose everything because of Rome. That's what he says. He predicts. We know now it was just 40 years. Rome would destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and because they were so greedy for all the gold in the temple, not one stone was left upon another. And they burned that city up. Why? To melt this gold, to steal the prophets, take everything away. Exactly what Jesus said happened in AD 70. But the worst is not what they lost physically. What the worst was is what they lost spiritually. The Bible says that he came to his own and his own received him Not. It's happening today Jesus weeping perhaps over you in your life it's not God's will for your marriage to end it's not God's will for you to be addicted to alcohol and drugs it's not God's will for you to be angry and mad and frustrated all the time it's not God's will for you to be isolated It's God's will for you to be in love with him, enjoying life, living out his plan and purposes. You know, Jesus is prophesying over the city. He knows the future. He knows it all. I know sometimes we think we want to know the future, but I'm glad I don't know the future. I don't want to know. I mean, there have been times in my life where I've wanted to know. I just kind of, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what next year is going to bring. You know, you have all these plans. But I'm, uh, over the years, I've learned I don't want to know the future. I'll just deal with it when I get there. I don't want to know about the pain up ahead. I don't want to know about the sorrow. I, I don't want to know how hard it's going to be in that year or that year. I just know I want to live today, abiding in Christ, and I'll deal with it when I get there. You know, here he tells them it's worse than you can expect Your rejection of me is going to cause unrepairable damage and harm for generations. Jesus, being God, knew everything about everyone. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And as he had watched this multitude get so caught up in the excitement, he knew it was still a sad day. Why? Because his ministry was almost over. And by and large, he's been rejected. He healed their sick. He raised their dead. He fed their hunger. He cleansed their lepers. He forgave their sins. But for the most part, he has been rejected. But not only that, one of his own friends, a very close friend, one that they trusted so much that they entrusted the money to this man, Judas, was going to publicly and violently betray him. Another one of his close friends, Simon Peter, is going to abandon him and deny him in his hour of need. His followers he knew were gonna run away from him. He knew that Caiaphas and Pilate would plot together to bring about his death. Not only that, the same people he knew, the same people crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, would be crying, many of them crucify him, crucify him, not many days from now. Not only that, being God, he could look into the future and he knew the future of the city of Jerusalem. And he knew that Jerusalem would face utter destruction and it broke the heart of Jesus. This isn't what he wanted for them. I mean, church, what do you see when you see this city? This city, the city you live in, what do you see? Have you allowed someone else to give you a narrative that's not biblical? Have you allowed someone else to influence you and not see the own need in your city that will break your heart? Have you been avoiding a broken heart? Have you been purposely avoiding getting emotionally connected to the needs of your city? Because when Jesus looks out at a city and sees its future apart from him, it makes him cry. You know, I've been thinking about that, and and I do, this happens every time I go to California, you know, because when I go to California, I go back to an area that is saturated with the old ed. And there are a lot of different places that the old Ed, and with, you know, Josh is probably, you know, Josh and my son, Josh never even met the old Ed. Only Marie pretty much knew the old Ed. And, and maybe Henry and Maria that are here. But for the most of you, you've never met the old Ed. And let me just say this. I'm glad I never met the old you either. For the most part. For the most part. I have met some of the old you. You got saved right here. And the new you showed up. But I know every time I go back, I have to deal with my past. I have to deal with it. I have to be reminded of it. I have to deal with the reality of, man, I was messed up. And that doesn't even describe how bad it was. But you know, I was in a city that Jesus weeps over. I was lost. Just people walk by me and have no hope for me, to write me off. And for many, probably many good reasons. But you know, Jesus didn't write me off. And he hasn't wiped out our city, our state, you know, all the reputations, all of of the the ways that people think of us. You know, we're so worried about our reputation. We're so worried about what people think instead of worried and being concerned about what God thinks about us. And the necessity of connecting with him to be brokenhearted over the difficulties of our city. To be brokenhearted. I woke up this morning with this thought. I don't know, I don't know where it came from, but like just how the enemy is so slick that when it comes to this pandemic and all of it's included, all of it, all the ups and downs and everything, through the way that it's been handled, pastors have been talking about death like it's no big deal. Well, you know, know, uh, there's this many deaths in car wrecks and there's this many deaths in the regular flu. Are you serious? Those are people's lives. Those are families. Those are people that Jesus loves and weeps over because they go to bed at night crying. But with the way things go, man, the enemy can get believers to say things that sound nothing like Jesus. And here we are caught in the middle of it. You look at yourself and you go, oh, you know, Jesus, come in and save me. Give me what I want. And Jesus says, no, 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 what I want, you're not willing to give me. I want your life. I want it all. I don't want things from you. I, I, there's even times where God will say in his word, I don't want your sacrifices. You got it wrong. I'm looking for sacrifice. Like, uh, that, that, you miss the point if you think that that satisfies me. What satisfies me is you. That brings me great joy, God says. And you go, Ed, man, that's a heavy Palm Sunday message. Yeah, because Palm Sunday is heavy, man. Jesus entering into Jerusalem. These are his final moments of life. And he knows that most people are going to reject him and people that claim his name. Yeah, because what does he do with the temple? He goes in and flips over the tables. Now he's mad. Because one of the reasons why the city's lost is because those people that are taking advantage, those leaders, those spiritual leaders that have been trusted with the word, taking advantage of them. And he goes, No more. This is a house of prayer, this is a place of worship. Not only that, you have not only held back the Jews from coming to worship God, but you've also, according to Isaiah 56, held back the Gentiles from coming. You've turned the Gentiles off to the gospel. You've turned the Jews off because you manipulated religion against them, but you've also turned the Gentiles away because of the system you've set up and telling them that they're less valuable and not worthy of salvation. This is a heavy day. This is where Jesus is at. And this is just the moments coming into the city. I think God is calling us as a church to consider ourselves. I think of this, you know, using this as an illustration in verse 45, he comes into the temple to cleanse it. And let me just ask you this as we prepare for a time of communion. Does your temple need to be cleansed? You. Does your life need to be cleansed? and brought before the Lord. Have you been rejecting him? Have you been adopting things that aren't the gospel? Have you been making Jesus meet you on your terms instead of coming to him on his terms? One of the things that makes Jesus sad is when we reject him, misappropriate him. It's almost like he's on the outside saying, let me in. You're right there, you're right there. Let me show you my plan for your life. Let me show you my plans for your life are greater than yours. Surrender to me, submit to me. Be willing to live a life of sacrifice, of surrender, of suffering. Invite him in today, church, as you consider this week. This week, yeah, it's glorious. It ends in the resurrection of Jesus. But, you know, as you're experiencing this day by day, they didn't know that. They didn't realize that. They missed it. They missed it all. And I just know in my life, I want to give an example to you through my life. I don't want to miss anything else for the Lord. I don't want to miss it. I've got more years behind me than I have ahead of me. And I want my years, I want to finish well. I want to take as many people to heaven with me. I want to see the new creation in Christ. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I want to see on your lips the declaration that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but it's Christ that lives in me, and now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wrote those things, by the way, just reading to you the Bible. Like, if if just playing around, goofing off, pretending to love Jesus is the kind of church you wanna be in, this isn't gonna be it for you. This isn't gonna be it. The Holy Spirit's not going to allow you to stay in that place. He's going to continue to draw out from you. But we don't want to be some little social club here where we have a holy huddle of people, oh, let's go talk about Jesus, and then go live like the world all. No, the world doesn't need more worldly Christians. The world needs us to be the church. They do. They need it. I don't use that word lightly. The world needs us. You know, we were up in Boulder, and it's just so striking you know there's a lot of reporters there a lot of reporters and some of them were very aggressive very aggressive there'd be somebody crying up in the the fence and the lady came up and put her microphone right in her face can you tell me how you're feeling the world doesn't need that the world doesn't need that the world needs a believer that's about a foot or two behind that person waiting for the opportunity We already know how they're feeling. And now we just need to find out if they're feeling that with the Lord or outside of the Lord. Because that'll tell you a lot about where that person is. Church, I beg you. I beg you to make things right with him. Don't let another year go by just going through the motions. Don't let a year go by where you look back and regret. You know, going back to California for me, a lot of regrets for sure and even regrets as a believer. But my motive in life, and I want that to be yours, is to live a life of no regrets. And it starts with decisions today. So Father, I thank you for this uh, exhortation and encouragement on Palm Sunday as we come to the communion table. I pray, Lord, that I was faithful to your word, and I was faithful to your heart in relation to your word. And as we prepare ourselves for communion, I ask you, God, to meet us here, to minister your word to us and to help us to adapt ourselves to you and your will and to receive you as Lord on your terms. And if you're here today and you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I want to invite you to do that. You can just pray right now. I'm not going to ask you to stand, raise a hand, walk up here. Just where you are, near or far, listening on the radio, watching online, in this room, downstairs in overflow, in the cafe, wherever you might be. Maybe in the parking lot, in your car. Just ask God, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn my life away from my sinful past. And I'm deciding to follow you, surrender my life to you from this day forward. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me. And I believe he rose again to save my soul. I want to follow him from this day forward. And Father, I pray just as you're moving in our midst today, as you're ministering to us, as you're bringing us to points of decision, that you would bless and honor the men and women, the boys and girls that are drawing near to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora